Hey, friends, I am so excited for today's episode of Space for Life. Uh, I have as our special guest, Jim Fadling, uh, many time author, spiritual director, uh, new friend that we've become acquainted actually through uh, through Instagram. But I think our acquaintance is because we have so many different thoughts uh, that we share together and interests and passions and and beliefs about the way we we should live and the way that God has for us to live. So I'm really excited about having Jem on the podcast today to share her life and some of the lessons and even some of the things that I've learned just following her and some of her content uh, on Instagram. So I'm so excited to have you, Jim, uh, on the podcast, Space for Life, and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Well, thank you for having me. This is going to be great. Yes, thanks. So um, I think I think a great place to start is just to have you share with those who are listening your story. Um, you know, what's brought you to this place um, of Unhurried Living, which we'll hear more about, and spiritual director, life coach. Uh, you know, there's got to be a lot of path to get you there. Yeah, well, of course, everybody has a life story, right? So I, I won't bore you with all the details. Um, I will cut I will cut to the chase and give you the punchline at the end, though. Um, unhurried Living really is a, a great gift from God, and it's a place... Um, it's an organization through which I, I literally just get to pour out that which I've been given. Hmm. So that's the short answer. Now, of course, there's decades of life that came before that, but it's so wonderful here um, in the second half of life to have a ministry like this, where I literally get to be who I am and offer what I have. I can't even believe that that's my job. So <laughs> um, it's, it's a real privilege. And so um, but if we go back in time, um, I grew up in a Christian home. And so my mom and dad just made, I just, I don't remember a time when I didn't know about God. Okay. So that is a, a wonderful story to tell, isn't it? That yes. I just always believed there was God and there were Bibles were given to me as gifts and, um, we went to church. And so I had a very, um, just early, early in life knew that God, it, there's actually a funny story about that. When I was really young, I asked my mom, I was curious because we had a washer and a dryer out in the back room in the house. And I looked at it one day as a little kid, you know, how, how did we get a washer and dryer? How did this come to be? I was really curious. And my mom could have just said, well, we went to Sears. <laughs> <You> <laughs> That's what I would have said. <laughs> she could have said, but she didn't. She said this and it stuck with me my whole life. She said, well, God gave people the wisdom to know how to make things so that they could take care of themselves. And so a very, isn't that an amazing answer? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so that's, I'm giving that as an example because it's one of my earliest memories of knowing that God was there and that somehow he cared about us, right? God gave wisdom so we would know how to build things to care for. So instead of saying, I got it at Sears, my mom said, God, God gave it you know, the washer and dryer. So I have um, just a wonderful foundation of just believing in God. And then, you know, all the different steps along that journey, because conversion is ongoing, right? There's not this moment, we might pray a prayer or something, but that's, 
that's not the whole thing. We've got a whole life to live where we're being formed into the image of Christ. So of course I have all those little stories of sitting at a kitchen table with a woman who devoted herself to this tiny little church um, and the tiny little youth group. And I was a 12 year old sixth grader. And, you know, she, she was the first one to ever say, you know, would you like to have Jesus be in your heart? That, that very sweet little conversation. Mm. Um, then again, when I was 17, I, we moved and I was a part of a different church and there was another altar call. So I guess I had, I had to make many different altar calls, <laughs> but always, <laughs> but what that means to me is God was always inviting, always inviting. And I just kept saying, yes. And then um, I got married pretty young. My husband, Alan, and I have been married now 38 years. And we've really grown up together because I was young. I mean, I was 19 when we started dating and 21 when we got married. So literally, we have grown up together. Well, you're still very young because I, I just crossed 42 years of marriage and I was <laughs> very young. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to catch up to the 40s almost. Next year, I'll be 39. So we'll be we'll get there in a moment. All that to say. Um, got married young. My husband was a youth pastor and then a college pastor. And then we're just in the full blown. I was working in the corporate world. He was a, um, a pastor at a church and I was also serving in the church. So when you're in your twenties, you know how you have all that energy, like you could work two jobs and it, you can't even, and you still sleep at night. I don't even know <laughs> how I had that much energy, but the reason I'm bringing us up to my twenties is because in, I was, I was 26. My husband was 29. We met these men at just this most appropriate time in our lives. We had already been in church long enough to sort of get to that point where both of us were asking this question, you know, is this all there is, is there more to this Christian life? Did, like there was this holy longing that just emerged. Um, and I will say this right up front because um, unhurried living is my, it's my husband and I, um, and um one thing about my husband and I is that we're very different temperamentally, extraordinarily different. There's not, we don't have one Myers-Briggs letter in common <laughs> and not one. So we're very different. And yet the great grace and gift of our lives is that somehow we have been on the same page spiritually our entire marriage. Hmm. And I just call that a gift because I know that doesn't always happen with everybody, but for whatever reason, this was true even early on. And we both hit this point at the same time. And, and God just supplied these mentors that came into our lives. They reintroduced us to Jesus specifically through John 15. And that to me was like, like the great awakening of my life. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, remain in me and I will remain in you, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. No hmm. longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Right. This is all John 15. You did not choose me. I chose you. I just, I heard John 15 as though I was hearing the Bible for the very first time and something inside of me like awakened anew. And I really feel like I got on the path that led me to who I am right now. This was late twenties. I was 26. Okay. Hmm. And I just, I just remember it specifically because it was such a turning point for me spiritually. I want, I'm using the way the word awakening as seriously as I can to me. I don't know what else to call it, except something came alive in me afresh. Hmm. And so whatever it is, if I got on a different path or if I just took a, took this turn instead of that turn, it led to who I am right now. This group of men, they introduced us to John 15 
Um, one of them just was a beautiful mentor in spiritual leadership. Another one taught us solitude and silence. So back wow. in the day when that, you know, we were in regular Baptist evangelical churches and solitude and silence was for somebody else. And this, but this man taught it in a way that I understood that it was just time with God that was longer. You know, <laughs> you know he would give us an assignment of just go spend an hour and don't try to produce, don't try to study or necessarily pray, but just kind of in the, in the spirit of, um, Oh, I'm forgetting which, um, which prophet, but just, you know, here I am, Lord. Was yes. that Isaiah? Isaiah. <laughs> here yeah. I am, Lord. Here I am. Yeah. So he taught well, that, that posture. Not very Baptist at all. Well, these guys, I don't know what, I think he was Presbyterian. I mean, these yeah. guys, these four guys were kind of like a, a brotherhood. You know, they were just four guys mm -hmm. who loved each other. They were professors and pastors and, and they were just brothers who loved each other and they would uh, teach together. And so the one who taught us solitude and silence, I believe came up from a Presbyterian background, but whatever the denominations were, yeah. it didn't matter because they were just returning us back to Jesus. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I learned solitude and silence at age 26. Wow. So more than half my life now, I've been practicing what I think Dallas Willard probably called the queen of the disciplines. Mm. right that beautiful posture of receptivity and i i i credit that time also with being a huge part of my formation again bringing me to who i am right now i learned to listen and not just talk i learned to allow the dust to settle in my mind and my heart so i might hear that soft voice of the spirit mm -hmm. and so isn't that interesting now think decades later because I'm going to be, believe it or not, I'm going to be 60 in January. So <laughs> you, you don't, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot. Well, that's because yeah. Zoom has filters. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to say it's because you've been practicing solitude and silence. Right. For, oh, goodness. I, I'm fairly close. Yeah, I'm fairly close to what you're seeing here. But <laughs> yeah, so uh, literally more than half my life now, I've been formed by this sentence, apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. And so I, that, that is where I like to highlight it. When I share my story, I stop right there and I say, that was the thing. And then the rest of my life, God has just been forming me. And I don't even have a magic trick for how that happened. I know this about myself. I'm tenacious. I'm curious. I love transformation. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have bet my life on the fact that God exists and that God is love and that I'm being formed into the image of Christ. So I've, I've bet it all on this truth. Wow. And then I've just lived my life with that as a very prominent undercurrent. Yeah. You know, there, there are not many people that I've talked to who uh, I think came to such a transformational uh, place at such a young age and particularly not out of a deep crisis point, but then had, I'm sure it hasn't been, you know, completely steady, but right. kind of a steady 
path of just learning and growing deeper in in that. That's a really uh, unusual, different story. Well, think about the grace of this. So I'll tell you exactly what happened after this turning point, because that was January of 1990. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was the month I turned 26. Um, Basically, every year for the next five years, we experienced major loss. Mm. And so I'll tell you what the losses were, then we'll come back around to what I think that means. So January 1990, my head explodes because I found out apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And I'm learning how to go and, and just sit and be with God at the park. And that July, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And he passed away that December. Ooh. So that was what that year was like. And then the following year, um, I had my second miscarriage. It, we, for whatever reason, we just could not get, pre- we couldn't get, we couldn't stay pregnant. Couldn't get pregnant, couldn't stay pregnant. So I had my second miscarriage. The year after that, I, I finally got pregnant with my son who was actually born, but it was mostly bed rest. And there was a severe issue going on at the same time. So at any point I could have miscarried, but I didn't. So that was another stressful, right? The year after that, my husband got laid off completely unexpectedly. Again, now we have a six month old and we just bought a house and we're, you know, I'm in my late twenties. Alan by then is a little into his thirties. He lost his job which meant over, and then the Northridge earthquake hit. I don't know if you remember that. That was in Southern California. And then we lost our house. And this is like one after another. And then, and then um, my mother uh, went in for a second bypass. When I was a teenager, she had her first one, but she went in for another valve replacement and she could not recover. So she passed away. So in a five-year period from age 26 to 31, I lost my dad, a miscarriage, precarious pregnancy, husband lost his job, we lost our house, and then my mom died. So that was my introduction to, apart from me, you can do nothing. The way I experienced that was as as difficult as it sounds, of course. Mm -hmm. There's a big and there. And that really life-changing gift that God gave me at the very start before my dad was even diagnosed was it was it was some kind of cushion. I don't know what other word to use. So I'm saying I'm not saying it made it it wasn't easy. <clears throat> I'm saying there was a foundation underneath that undergirded all of that trauma. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, it, well, it makes more sense than than you know because it's it's uh, so similar. You you may not know much on, you know, my story, but almost the identical time. It was, I think, January nineteen ninety, was uh, a period where uh, I hit rock bottom with stress and overload at that time. Uh, running four different businesses, mm. uh, one which was not going well while I was an elder, while we were starting our family and hit hit a, a point that everything just started spiraling. I, the, the stress and the overload uh, 
and at that time came across Richard Swenson's book, Margin. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife and I began a long journey of moving out of that overwhelm and stress and beginning to create margin in our life, practice the Sabbath for probably 10, well, I guess, I guess it was 20 years, um, God building those muscles in us until the point when in 2010, our daughter who had been born on Christmas day, 89, uh, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm. And then we went through a long journey of, of her cancer and eventually passing away in 2016. Uh, but for us, the, the common point is that I felt like God went ahead of us teaching what we absolutely had to know and had to learn in order to survive the very worst that life could deliver. And I hear your story almost the exact same time frame. And it's as if God brought these extra measures of grace to help you with a period of time that you couldn't know and a compilation of things that were more than we're meant to withstand. And yet he, he gave you the tools to be able to survive. Yeah. He gave, and I mean, I think he gave me himself. I mean, there's no other, no, there's no other way to talk about that great grace of now again, you can't, what happened happened. So you could go, well, if that didn't happen, how would you have done? Well, I think I still think God would have met me the way God meets people, you know, with the grace that you need in the moment. And again, in, from your story and my story, both, I mean, every one of those um, things that happened has a whole story in and of itself and a day-by-day living and diagnosis and, and all and of that. Hard, and it's, and it's hard, terrible. it is suffering. It is hard. So I obviously am not saying, well, God said, apart from you can do nothing and everything went okay. No, it was hard. I'm, I'm just saying, and I think you're saying the same thing. There was this holding within and maybe it was my first maybe it was my first foray into what the word with means emmanuel right we're coming up on advent in however long a couple months and um god with us yes yes god with us and the older i get the more i realize you know because you can go around spinning in that thing of why does god allow this to happen and why does god allow that to happen and it's completely unanswerable and so one of the places I'm trying to settle is, is it, is it good enough for me to know that whatever happens, God is with me in it? Mm-hmm. That's, that's some deep work right there. It, it's, it's not something that you can say lightly, you know? Yes. I, I mean, that, that, that's a, that is a real rubber meets the road place to be able to say that because both you and I know that uh, when you go through the really hard things, there are no guarantees of survival. The the statistics of marriages that survive losing a a child are horrific. And, you know, the things that you went through, there's no guarantee that 
you know, a person survives that. And, you know, it's, it's not because we deserved it, you know, it's, it's by his grace, but uh, I, I don't take for granted what might have been had not God prepared us for that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm. So gracious. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for letting me share that part of my story. It was very formative, obviously. Mm. And yes. then, the, you know, then life continues on and, and you go through midlife and then that's a whole nother can of worms that, you know, we don't need to go into, but that was an, that's a complete inward undoing. Um, but then fast forwarding to now where I am now in this great uh, gift of unhurried living, which we're just at the end of our eighth year now. And as That's I started phenomenal. this, yeah, it's really great. <laughs> so it was, it was sort of, it made sense because by the time we started this, we were in our early fifties and it was that, you know, the kids are grown and now what are we going to do with the second half of life? And we have all of this experience and it was just time for us to launch our own nonprofit and just take that leap of faith. So that's what we did. And we were able to take that leap because my husband wrote 10 years ago. Now, this is the 10 year anniversary of an unhurried life. Yes. I so that, that was, yeah, that was his first book and it is still selling. People are still resonating with that title. So um, that's why. So he wrote the book in 2013. We started unhurried living in 2016. And so unhurried living, of course, is just a riff on the title of his book. Mm -hmm. but unhurried living is something we're attempting to do. And so that's the name of our ministry. And so we've been able to build. Name. Yeah. Unhurried living. It's a, I think it's invitation, <laughs> you know, it's a unhurried is one of those words that people aren't quite sure what to do with. Like, what does that really mean? <laughs> unhurried. Are you lazy? Are you not getting anything done? And um, obviously not. Obviously, that's not what we're saying, because um, you can be busy and unhurried. It that's sounds good. like an oxymoron, but yes. that is the, that's the grand experiment here. Can you be busy? Not crazy busy, overly busy where you're crazed. I mean, obviously, then you've got a whole nother conversation going on. But can you have many things going on in your life? And when in, I don't know, this is not on video, so you can't see me, but I'm putting my hand on my heart, but, and can you have an unhurried soul, an unhurried heart in the midst of what you're doing? That is what we are experimenting with. Okay. So uh, it's, it's probably just kind of jumping to a punchline because we do have a lot of other things I want to dive into, <laughs> but you know, when, when you ask the question, can you live in an unhurried way and be busy and in essence imply yes i gotta ask how yeah that's the, that's the grand question isn't it well again um i think i have to give credit to dallas willard for this one too he said something akin to um busy is your calendar hurried is your soul oh that's a great quote yeah. So I think when he said it, it probably had a few more words to it. That's my little punchline way of saying it. But when you can sort of differentiate like that, it, I think it makes a difference. Yes. Um, I have things to do. We were talking about this beforehand when I'm running an organization here. So there's a lot of admin. We've got all these contractors who do all kinds of things for us. But then within it, I write books, I write emails, which end up being blog posts and there's 
podcasts, interviews, and scripts. You know, I meet with individual women. I also meet with groups. There's the, the occasional speaking. There's a list, right? So people go, oh my gosh, you're so busy. And I want to say, I don't think I'm actually busy. My life is full. But at this point, I've learned the art of yeses and nos and boundaries. And another word that I love, buffer. Yes. It's, it's yeah. akin to margin. Yeah, very much. Mm-hmm. But buffer. So, I mean, I do, this is how I, I live down to just the daily calendar. I put buffer around everything. I don't talk, I don't have two appointments. Ideally, there's never two appointments that don't have, there's always 30 minutes in between. I love it. I, 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 I don't you do something like that? All yeah. the time, you know, creating the, the, the small little powerful pauses you know, in yes. things. So I never go back to back and I can't even do 15 minutes. I need more than that. Cause I, especially when you're holding space for people, which is what spiritual direction or soul care coaching is, or even if I'm doing a group coaching, you're holding a sacred space for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of this happens on zoom these days because of where we've been the last few years, but um, I need time to recover from what I just did and to prepare myself for what's next. Well, and so and that's so unhurried. It, it's it's virtually impossible to be completely present with someone when you're looking at your watch out of the corner of your eye. 100%. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to say that, uh, you know, it's possible to have a full life without having a filled life. You know, I love that. I 100% agree. Yes. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. Busy yeah. and unhurried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same well, idea. Well, that's why I knew we'd like each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's great. Well, th- that had to have been, in the reality of it, a really major courageous leap to start your own nonprofit. I mean, you had the book, which I'm sure, you know. Uh, gave you a certain level of confidence, but it's quite a different thing to go all in and begin and run and build an organization from nothing. Yeah, it is. It is stressful to say the least because Mm -hmm. it, it is a leap of faith and you still have to pay your rent. And, you know, at the time this was well, nine years ago, our kids were, were pretty much grown up, but you know, we had a couple at home and all that to say, yeah, there, there's a fair level of stress. And even though I just waxed eloquent (laughs) about, you know, I have buffer and I have my practices, um, in my most recent book, hold that thought, I open with the story of how I ended up in an anxiety attack and it, So there's an, I love the word and I really love the word and because I can be what I would call, you know, a relatively solid Christian woman who has buffers and margins and spiritual practices. And I struggle with anxiety and perfectionism. And sometimes I push too hard. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if you put all that together, you get a kind of stress and a kind of angst 
And so did you want me to share that story? Yes, uh, I, I do, because uh, when I read that in the introduction of the book, I immediately, it was kind of like my eyes went wide because it it was not at all what you expect when someone is introducing this, uh, not that hold that thought, it was about unhurried living, but I knew that was what you and Alan were about. It was not what I expected at the beginning. And it was, uh, it was actually incredibly refreshing the transparency. So you tell the, tell, tell the, the, the story because I think it uh, debunks the thought that any of us have our act together when it comes down to it. That, I mean, that's a whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think that's a whole conversation in and of itself? Because I just, I think that's one of the downfalls of some leadership these days is, mm -hmm. is that you're on some kind of pedestal and you do have it all together until you don't. And then there's a documentary on Hulu about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like it's, so I think it's important for us to be healthily transparent. Yes. I'm not going to dump my stuff on you, but I don't mind sharing my life with you so that hopefully you can learn from me and that I have a chance to unpack what God is doing in my own life so we can, because yes, I am a human being <laughs> with actual faults and actual struggles and temptations and I'm doing my best, just like the rest of us are trying to do. And so, yes, I boldly proclaim uh, an unhurried living way. And, and yet I have my own struggles. So let me give a little bit of context. Again, we started unhurried living when I was in my early 50s. And that's a shift for many women where I had various different kinds of um, jobs throughout, you know, my life. Um, my main job was mom. And so sometimes when a woman has that as her main job, when she gets to her fifties, there's this sort of opening up. And so I was in that season of like, oh my goodness, I'm free. And people are off doing their things now. And what am I going to do? And so um, that season intersected just at the right time and unhurried life and then, then unhurried living could be born. And we got to, you know, take that leap of faith. And so I have all this like, like energy, I would call it holy energy. It was God given vision. And so we, we enter into this building process of something from nothing. And I was cyclically every year, because at the beginning, when you're starting something from nothing, my husband, and I literally did everything. I mean, not only the ministry, but we did all the admin, like he was the bookkeeper and I was the webmaster. Do you know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. if a web page <laughs> has to be made, it was me. And if a bill had to be paid, that was Alan. So we were doing all the things. And about once a year in the first four years of our organization, I would get myself to this place where I just, I was overly anxious and I would come to this little, what I would call a mini crash and burn moment. It wasn't like a full-blown, it wasn't, it wasn't a panic attack. It probably wasn't even an anxiety attack. It was just like, oh no, something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah. I can't keep, I can't keep pushing the way I'm pushing or Borderline working burnout. the way I'm working. Yeah. Yeah. It was like little mini, little mini burnouts. Again, I wasn't debilitated. I could pull it. I pulled myself together each time and, and then carried on. Cause again, 
I'm trained, I'm experienced, I have tools. And again, even in the midst of that, I was living the life that I was proclaiming. I'm not saying that I wasn't living the life I was. And then the, and anxiety yes. would cyclically overwhelm me. Okay. I did that first three years, the fourth time it happened. That one for, I'm not sure what happened exactly, but I got wound up even more than usual. There was something inside of me that just got really heightened and I was nervous about things or fearful and anxious. And then, you know, again, ambition or perfectionism or whatever is kicking in and making this swirl. And I was heightened for about a month and I couldn't make it stop. And I didn't know what to do. Like when I say heightened, I mean, you know, upset stomach and racing mind and not sleeping well. And I couldn't stop what I would call like a revving inside myself. And it got to be so noticeable <laughs> that I called my former therapist and I said, you've got to help me. I, I got myself riled up here and I don't know how to stop it. And so he listened and he was like, well, you know what? I think we only need to meet uh, one to three times. And I think we can resolve this. Wow. <laughs> it was so why did I not call you four years ago? <laughs> oh goodness. And he was right. We met twice because he gave me a beautiful practice that I started practicing. Uh, basically what I had done was not going to be surprising now because everyone's talking about this stuff. You know, I got my adrenaline was turned on like a faucet. And I just never was giving it time to turn off and flush through my body. So he just gave me a practice that taught me how to do that. My adrenaline was up. And so I just needed to uh, turn it off, let it flow through and relax. And once your body knows about this, your brain relaxes because it actually wants to relax and then it knows what to do. So that was like a little miracle moment for me to just have that much understanding. So that I turned a corner then I did. For about four months after I met with him, my husband and I had planned uh, our 34th wedding anniversary to Italy. We had already planned it like a year before that. And so we're, we're off for two weeks. We go and we're experiencing Tuscany, you know, Florence and Assisi and all the Siena. I mean, just all the beautiful things. But as much as it was an anniversary getaway for me, I needed it to be a pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And so I, because this was just a handful of months after I had had what my, what my therapist called a quasi anxiety attack. And so I said, Lord, I got to, I got to have a new way. I can't keep working this way where anxiety builds up like this. And I'm doing this weird cyclical thing where I'm burning myself out in little mini ways. It's, I don't like it. I don't want it, you know, and then tongue in cheek, it's not on brand. <laughs> <laughs> like I was my, my, but my heart, my heart was praying, Lord, you have to show me, show me a new way. And so what ensued after that, I will preface by saying it, things don't always work out this way, but this was an amazing way in which God really guided me in very specific ways that still inform up to the moment. And so as we're making our way through Italy and all the different beautiful cathedrals, I would give myself a chance to just sit down in a pew and look at some amazing original painting, you know, and all the beautiful on the ceilings and pillars. And I was in this, I was in this one cathedral and I just sat down. And um, there was a, a painting of the Last Supper. And so I just heard in my mind what I hear every week at church, you know, this is my body given for you. Which was just 
a sentence of love, right? It came very peacefully. This is my body given for you. And then right on the tail end of that was this little instruction just for me. Gem, stop pushing, stop trying and stop angsting. Hmm. I'm just sitting in a pew in the middle of nowhere in Florence. And I'm and God is speaking to my heart. Like I said, this doesn't always happen, but I was desperate and I was so listening. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to show me a new way. So the first invitation was, this is my body given for you. I've given you everything. You don't have to push. You don't have to try. You don't have to angst. So I just, I heard that as an invitation. And in your mind, there was a clarity of this, that what you were hearing was more than just kind of working it out in your mind? Yes. Now, I know that this is one of those things that's very subjective, but when something comes through that feels like, I don't know how else to put it, but like cosmic truth. Yes. Uh-huh. I just, I, I I think that's God. Yeah. Well, because, you know, the transcendentals, right? Goodness, beauty, and truth. Mm-hmm. Your soul knows when it's encountering those things. And so if someone wants to label what happened to me as me working it out, that's fine. That is one way of telling the story. I like to give God credit. <laughs> sure. No, and, and I'm certainly not. Uh, not. No, I know not you. I'm just saying, you know. It's, it's I think it's, there is that, that subjective place where, you know, maybe the great majority of, of things that we think and we do work out a lot of things in our mind and mm-hmm. yet there are those moments that you can't prove or anything right. where the the message or the word comes in a, a little different tone and in a often yeah. often in an unexpected way that you go well that wasn't what i was expecting to hear and that gives it a sense that this wasn't just me thinking about it. Um, yeah. You know, I love that you're bringing that up. Yes. Something that distinguishes it. Yeah. God, God, I think is in the midst of both of those ways of talking. So it's, it's not yeah. like one's not God and the other is God, but yeah. just those occasion occasions. And at least in my life, they're very rare, but those occasions where something comes across and it, uh, it's almost like it just sounds different yes. to hear. And I go, yes. all right, I can't prove it to anybody else, but in my gut, God spoke. Yes, that's how it felt to me. It yeah. felt, of course, in my own head, it might sound like my own voice, but there is a sense of, of other. Yes. Like, you know, it, stop pushing, stop trying and stop angsting. That sentence especially just sounded like it came from somewhere else. Yes. And so that's how I received hmm. it. And um, it was a beautiful invitation because it's like, stop, stop, stop. He's telling you to stop. But it came through so lovingly, so quietly. Again, because we're in a big cathedral and in this cathedral, the people, there's signs of where that say, you know, be quiet because people are trying to pray and wander through and be thoughtful and look at the art. And so it was quiet, but there were people, but, but there was just this sense of hush. And so I, I received it as a sentence of love. I forgot to mention one, cause I mean, I was in the Florence cathedral before that I had walked 
all the way up to the top. You can walk 463 steps up to the dome and look out over the whole city. That was actually the first thing I did before I sat down inside. And the invitation that I heard at the top of the dome was, um, why don't you just pivot to gratitude? Because I was trying to feel something. I'm usually looking for a little extra sauce on things. Like I want it to be super special and memorable. <laughs> and I could feel myself looking out over Florence like that. And all of a sudden something pivoted inside of me. And that same place where you hear, I heard, stop pushing. I heard that I heard this instead of anticipation or excitement why don't you just move to gratitude mm. and again i just i heard that and i was like okay so i i just pulled myself into the space where i was standing and i looked out over the red rooftops and i just said out loud thank you and something in me relaxed mm. and then i made my way downstairs i sat in that pew and then i'm hearing this is my body given for you okay a few days later, we are in Assisi. So now I'm in the cathedral there because you have to go to all the cathedrals. They're just amazing. And I'm walking through. And again, this one, I wasn't even sitting down in a prayerful mode. I was wandering through slowly, just like everybody else was taking in the beauty of what was there. And this phrase came to mind, which was, um, you already have what you need. Right, which is 100% scripture. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness, right? Second Peter. You already have what you need. You might have lost it or forgotten about it or it got covered over, but that's okay. Life is a journey of uncovering. Okay, so this, so now that was the third sort of phrase I heard. So a couple of days later, now we're at the next place we are. And my husband and I gave ourselves some time with God. Like I talked about, I learned when I was 26, we gave ourselves some solitude and silence at this place where we were staying. So I sat in the backyard of this, this place and I had my journal out. And I just captured all of these things that happened into one place in my journal. And it became a beautiful message from God for me, which is why I'm able to tell you about it right now. Cause I really reflected on it and took it in because I, again, I was desperate. And so if you piece it together, it's a beautiful message. Hey, Jim, why don't you just pivot to gratitude? Right. By the way, I've given you my very self. This is my body given for you. Stop pushing, stop trying, stop angsting. Mm -hmm. And you already have what you need inside yourself. I have given it to you. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, isn't that a beautiful message? Yeah, it is. And you know, the things, what, what I, what it makes me think of uh, it's, it's a little bit of the and is the end of life is that we have many days, weeks, and years that are, by all definitions, routine and mundane, and we hear no words from God, and that's the ordinary, uh, and somehow there are these moments, and they usually will come in the midst of some desperation, where God will meet and step up in a slightly different way to meet us and give us these. And when you, when you tell this, which is, you know, an incredible, beautiful story. Um, it's, it's just, it's a story in the midst of a lot of 
storyless days in a sense in terms of days that that stand out it's not like you know if you really walk with god this is going to be what every other day is like yes yes i mean so that was four years ago four and a half years ago and i i could probably honestly say that i haven't heard anything like that since that doesn't mean god and i have not interacted uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Of course yeah. we have, yeah. but that very pointed answer to my heart's cry came again as a gift and it has sustained me in many ways since then. That's yeah. how rich the food of God is. <laughs> it was, it was food for years. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. Well, I love that. I love that you share that. And, you know, uh, I've I've said to others many times, I think God is a lot more concerned with who we are than what we do. Um, and, you know, when I hear you talking, you're not talking about all the people that come to unhurried living and all of the retreats and conferences and people who have been impacted. You're talking about what God's done in you through the process of this gift that he's given you and Alan. And I think that's, you know, that's really the way we live this, mm -hmm. you know, is, is God just does things and we we're along and guess, yeah. just get to join in the story. And, Oh, by the way, he happens to do some good things too. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what I meant by I'm literally just sharing my life. It was one of the very early invitations that my husband and I both sensed from God that that same year that 1990 that I told you about, it was a packed year, not only did we meet these men in January, and then got John 15. And then my father passed away in December, but the end of the month in December, we were at a, an Urbana conference. Do you know what Urbana is? It's that missions conference. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, there were 18,000 people that would gather every oh, three years. Huge. It huge. was humongous. It was so we were in the Illini Stadium, 18,000 college students, because my husband was a college pastor at a church. And so we brought students. And um, during that, during that time, we sensed our calling. This is what I'm saying. It's another one of those, one of those moments. We individually and together sensed our calling to Christian leaders. Now, again, I'm 26 and he's 29 and we're getting a really weird, again, Baptist <laughs> getting, you know, a vision yeah. or a calling, but there's no doubt about it. What we do now started in many ways in that year with the bookends of what happened in January and what happened in December, and then us believing God and surrendering to that and then living our lives. And then here yeah. we are <laughs> yeah. and we're able to share all the goodness of what God has given to us with um, other Christian leaders mm. um, in this very, very different and difficult season that we're in the information age. It is, it is created when I, when I think of um, people like Henry Nowen and uh, C.S. Lewis, actually to a degree, and, and Dallas Willard, and think that the things that they wrote about the hurried life and the busyness 
were all pre-smartphones and pre-speed, pre that is times 10 of anything that they experienced. And yet we're in a riptide of speed and noise and distraction that is beyond what they could have imagined. Um, and yet they, they were really kind of prophets about all of this. Oh, yeah. Well, what that means is, is this is a human problem. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry is a human problem. And we're experiencing it in spades right now. And I would argue that we are in a time of utter overwhelm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. Not only do people have their, their actual lives where there's our own stresses, but then there's just other layers of cultural stress that are being laid on us. Because you can pick up your phone at any point and see what's going on in any corner of the planet. And we psychologically and emotionally and even our souls cannot bear the weight of that. And that's one yeah. of the reasons we keep from our corner, like we talked about earlier, um, hey, it's okay to rest. Yes. Hey, it's okay to unplug. Yeah. Well, what's, what's really amazing and cool about what y'all are doing is that you you begin this ministry nine years ago. And the need for what you're doing, uh, I'd like to think what I'm doing too, has mm -hmm. simply uh, exponentially oh. grown um, and, and, and will continue to, you know, we're, yes, yes. Our culture is not slowing down. There's not, you know, there's a, there's voices of dissatisfaction, but they're voices without any semblance of how do we actually change uh, about it so um yeah. so that's that's great uh so I'd, I'd like to maybe pivot for a second uh because i, I want to talk at least a little bit about your book and then i want to put you on the spot at the end and say okay here's this un unhurried living if you had to give, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the question now so you can be thinking it in the background. If you had to give people two or three takeaways of how to begin to practice an unhurried life, if they're in the midst of not doing that well at whatever level, what, what, were, what would be some tactical, practical suggestions? We'll come back to that. But your book, I love it, is is called Hold That Thought. And uh, as as I think about it, it is, um, this is a little bit of my summary, and then you can kind of say it differently. It's the stuck places that we get in our mind that tend to uh, snowball and and cause life to not work well. And so you identify, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different forms of getting stuck and the um, thought processes that people get stuck in that are, are so easy and immediate for people to uh, relate to. So, um, let me do this. Let me just list those types and then pick one or two that are top of mind for you that you think are worth kind of expounding. So you talk about 
the stressed achiever. Uh, you talk about the positive thinker, which is kind of, uh, I love how you brought that about, the inner critic, um, been there, done that, anxious controller, yeah, the complaining victim, the passive spectator, and the unsettled heart. And I'll actually put just the list of these because I think these people can mull on these, you know, just by themselves. Hopefully they'll buy your book, but they can mull on yeah. them. But there's such great descriptions of uh, of the stuck places that we all struggle with. And usually probably two or three of these for each person or more. Yeah. So what um, is there one that you struggle with the most or is there one that you you're finding is kind of jumping off the page for you at this particular day stage of, of life? Yeah. Well, um, let me just say, let me just add to your little summary here and then I will, I will share my inner workings. <laughs> Which <laughs> okay. ones of these? Um, yeah. I mean, the book is called hold that thought. And um, so it's about, it's about our thought life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tried obviously to write holistically though. So as not to just, you know, cause it's not just, we are more than just our brains, right? We have a heart and we have intuitions, our gut, our body. Um, but I was trying to leap off of the idea of be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. Right. And some have said that the brain and the mind are two different things. The brain is the organ in your head but that mind is that you that can sometimes take a step back and look at what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do in this book is to get us to be accustomed to taking that step back, sort of yes. that inner observer, because what we don't want to be is the kind of people who just have, it's like stimulus and then reaction. And then that's not a way to live. Right. Don't you want to be more thoughtful than that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Victor, Victor Frankl said that there's, um, there's this beautiful space in between a stimulus and a response. And in that space is where our freedom lies. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to have a conversation about what might you do inside that space between stimulus and response. Well, you could be thoughtful. So that's, you know, a huge overarching theme of what the whole book is about. No, but then great. I do have these set. I do have these seven and there's a practice in there that I will tease you with. It's called notice discern and respond. Mm -hmm. I think that is a beautiful practice. My husband actually wrote a very brief practice on that in his book, An Unhurried Leader, but I sort of took that and then expanded it really big inside this book as a practice you can use to notice a thought, discern a thought, and then respond in some hopefully more healthy way. Mm -hmm. That's great. So that's that's the gist of it and then i chose to sort of unpack seven different i use the word thoughts and voices synonymously in this book you know yeah. like voices i have voices in my head right. or i have thoughts in my head so these are just seven voices that i chose they're they're certainly not every voice but i thought they were a fair representation of the kinds of voices that we hear you know the stressed achiever so in my mind when i shared my story earlier about my own anxiety I think what happened was my inner critic and my stressed achiever combined and created an overzealous, anxious controller. 
<laughs> and and then now you're in an anxiety spiral. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, again, I mean, I'm laughing about it now. It's easy to laugh now because it's in the past. Yeah. But um, but this these are the ways, you know, and then um, the positive thinker is an interesting one, too, because it's like, well, why, what's wrong with thinking positively? Well, nothing unless you're going into denial. Yes. Right. You don't want to just think positive thoughts about things or just act like nothing's wrong when something's really wrong and we need to address it. Yeah. Right. And, so all of, yeah. yeah I've, I've known people who, they can't handle anything negative being said. They have, yes. have to immediately reframe it, not to just be looking at it from an optimistic standpoint, but in essence to avoid, and I love how you talked about that positive thinker that uh, underneath it is fear. Um, and I, I love that because I think that's actually incredibly insightful and and accurate that it's yeah. it's fear of something negative that then causes this extreme yeah you know positivity uh as yeah. an avoidance mechanism oh i'm well acquainted with that i spent probably most of the first half of my life as the positive thinker hmm. i didn't want to you know i didn't want to see any of that any of that nasty negative stuff and so <laughs> But at, at some point that stops working, right? It doesn't work for you anymore, which is the beauty of midlife. Everything comes undone and you have to come to terms with things. And I think, um, again, being willing to look at things as they are is a beautiful starting point. Mm. And so whoever you are or whatever your temperament is, or your dynamics are, if you can make your way to just what is actually happening right now. And then give yourself the grace to sit in it long enough to pray, <laughs> uh, to try to discern, um, to seek the help you need. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to solve everything right this second, but can you get curious enough and can you get courageous enough to just see where you're at and even this is a rough one, maybe move to some acceptance because again, how can you move forward if you don't acknowledge where you are? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, so, and I love what you said, because I, I do think that when you're talking about this as really as you are in the struggles that we have at the core, it takes tremendous courage to, to step back and look at the reality, look at the reality of a marriage, look at the reality of, you know, where you are in your own internal life. It takes courage to do that. And yet that's foundational and fundamental to being able to move forward. So, yes, yes, mm. we must we must enact whatever courage we have, even if it's just a feeble amount. And I, and I, yeah. And, and it's so, it's true for every one of these types, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, since I'm not particularly aware of the log in my own eye, it's very easy for me to see people that I know who fit into each one of the uh, types and often are completely unaware of 
the degree to which it's ruling their life. Um, yeah. You know, need to do that work myself too. Uh, and, and I think that's actually what your, your uh, book really enables, you know, and it enables it partially because you're so transparent in your book about how you have had to work and struggle through these things. Yeah. Again, I, I think it's important for us to talk any, any spiritual leader should be sharing from their own life in appropriate ways because people need to know how it works. Yep. And, and I'm not sitting here going, I know exactly how it works. Let me tell you the answers and here are how's it look, how it looks in my life. I'm telling you, I'm just sharing my experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, um, that you can see how God met me and maybe that will encourage you or inspire you or help you. Um, you have your own ways in which God has been doing that in your life as well. So let's embrace that and talk about that too. Um, yeah. But to act like everything's fine all the time, it's just not realistic. Nobody believes that. Yeah. Yeah. People see through that real quickly. Yeah. Well, it's great. Well, I, I do want to encourage people listening that I think this is, is a, incredibly thought provoking book. Uh, and it's, uh, kind of a, a paradigm shifting book, you know, because I think you're, you're naming some things that need to be named in terms of, uh, the voices that we listen to. And sometimes we pay the most attention to. So, uh, it's great. So thank you for the book. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I think it's great. All right, so I'll come back to uh, to that question. Uh, unhurried living. If you had to give just a couple, two or, or three, like practical baby steps that people could implement in their lives to move in the direction of full, free, joyous, unhurried living, what would you offer? Yeah. If you're talking baby steps, the first word that comes to my mind is the word presence. Mm, Okay. I think that might be, um, I think that's a doable first step. If this whole idea is new to you and you're like, what is she talking about? Presence is when all of you is in the same place at the same time. So it's practicing bringing in your thoughts and whatever, because sometimes are, you know, we're scattered, right? My thoughts are somewhere else and my heart might be over there, but my body's here. So practicing presence is just choosing for a moment. Can you just bring all that right? Bring it all right here. And even, even for 10 seconds or 20 seconds, could you choose to bring in the scatter and just acknowledge where you are now? That can be hard if you're only just relying on your brain to make that choice. Usually what it takes is getting in touch with your body because your body is actually only in one place, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to practice presence really quickly on any given day, you could do it right now where you're sitting in the chair, or if you're listening to this podcast, you might even be out walking. Can you feel your feet on the floor? Ground yourself, feel that you are here. Usually if you can get in touch and then even just, you know, cross your arms and just feel your hands touching your arms. If you can get yourself back to where you are in your body, presence can usually naturally occur. Mm -hmm. So 
I just think this is an important thing because of what you said earlier about how scattered we are, how distracted, how busy, how flurried. Uh, practicing presence is really good for the soul. And if you do it more and more, it's almost like a muscle memory, right? Because we lift weights, we get our biceps. You can practice presence and that is exercising your soul by, by coming into this, the only place you are, which is right here and right now. Right. And 20 seconds with a little practice can turn into a few minutes and it yeah. can turn into a conversation that you're present and it can, it takes time. It's not a quick thing because we have yeah. a lot of memories of not being present. Completely. So, but you said baby steps. So I'm offering Love that it. as just give yourself 20 seconds is really short. But yeah, ideally, wouldn't it be nice if maybe once a day you could practice that for even one minute? Mm -hmm. And think about that over the course of a month, that would have meant that 30 minutes you would have been training yourself to be present. Mm -hmm. Now, that might not seem like something day by day, but that's this is how spiritual practices work. Over the course of time, that will bear fruit when you least expect it. It will show up somewhere because that's how the spirit works. Mm -hmm. And that's so great. it's kind of by faith. So I would say that's a really, really tiny baby step. That's great. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's just, it's absolutely what we need is it's, it's something that's doable and repeatable and can build on itself. Yeah. And you can keep increasing the time as you desire. Yeah. And you don't have to just sit in your chair. You can practice this while taking a walk. Mm -hmm. And actually, sometimes that's even easier because then you can let your eyes fall on something beautiful like a bird or a flower or a tree and let yourself experience presence that way. There's a, there's a lot of ways to experience presence, but I think it's becoming a lost art. And I really don't want us to lose touch with that in this distracted world. Mm, that's great. Any other little baby steps you'd suggest? Um, well, I think the presence and and the body is good. I think too, if you're ready for maybe just a little bit beyond <laughs> the baby step of presence is, you know, I told you earlier about the solitude and silence. That was a great gift to me. Um, my first, you know, quote unquote assignment from my mentor was one hour once a month, which sounds like that's hardly anything, but when you've never done it before, an hour is a really long time to go somewhere. So I would take a chair, I would sit down at a park and I would, I took nothing. I just sat in the chair and I just was there. And my mind was flurried the whole time, but always in about the last five minutes, the dust would have settled and I would have sensed something precious from God. I think he was just being gracious to a young girl who was trying to seek him. And so he would give me just some thought or insight that felt like it was good for my heart. I have multiple stories of that and memories of that occurring. So a baby step isn't an hour, but if you're ready for that next step for solitude, could you give yourself 15 minutes in your backyard? Mm -hmm. Just, you don't have to go anywhere. Don't even get in a car, sit somewhere in your backyard. If you have a patio table or a piece of furniture or just your beach chair on the grass and face the chair toward the most beautiful thing in your yard that you want to look at. And just let the dust settle. It'll feel weird at first because your mind is busy and it's going to talk to you, but you don't have to have a reaction to that. Well, and I want to just throw in that uh, guys can do this too. 
this is for everybody. Yeah, I know, I know, but you know, guys can be kind of macho about touchy feely things like. Oh, is is nature touchy feely? <laughs> it can get that way for a while. I'm glad you yeah I didn't know that I thought nature was my husband and I we both love nature so much we live relatively near the ocean and so we get in the car and we drive 25 minutes and we are at and we're at the beach and even when we just come over the hill and we can just see the blue of the water both of us have the same like reaction like our bodies just yes Mm -hmm. inhale exhale both of us have that so um there's a way in which nature for some works because God is speaking through the beauty of what he's created. If that doesn't work for you, pick whatever you want. The invitation is still the same. Can you put yourself somewhere for 15 minutes? Yeah. And can you just by faith, it's okay to wrestle with your thoughts. I'm going to promise you your brain's going to be buzzing, but that's okay. That's why they call it a spiritual practice. Right. Yeah. I'm practicing. It's practicing. Yeah. Yeah. That's- these are so basic. I know these are so basic. No, that they, they really, uh, they're not. When it they're comes not- to, I mean, we, these are things that we all need to work on and they're, they're basics, you know, in a sense, you know, I mean, I think about like a, a basketball player, you still practice dribbling, you know, it might yeah. become fundamental, but you keep on you keep on practicing these core fundamental things um you need yes. to, you know of course and- well you could sports is good. musicians piano players will practice the scales right it's it's a, it's the same thing or i just watched someone he's a calligrapher and he still practices ovals yeah Right. So it's, it's, it's akin to all of those kinds of things. You're right. It, that what I'm sharing is very much like making an oval or yes. dribbling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this is great. What a fun conversation. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so Dude, much. I, I knew we would, uh, we just, you know, scrape the surface of so many <laughs> things that, uh, that I would like to talk about, but really enjoyed it. And I think that, uh, it's going to cause a lot of people to pause probably and go, you know, maybe there is a little bit better way. And maybe I can take, you know, one or two of these um, baby steps. What's the best way for people to connect with you and Alan and Unhurried Living? Um, yeah. Well, we are unhurriedliving.com. Okay. So if you go there, you can connect with us in all kinds of ways. And if you're looking for us on social media, we are Unhurried Living on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you want to connect with me personally, it's my name, Jem Fadling. I'm mostly on Instagram. I love connecting with people there. So you can just look for my name. That's great. That's how we connected. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and just your being uh, open to what God teach you that you can share with others. So wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy this very much. much. Great. Thanks.